a little bit concerned about the pace at which interest rates are rising and that we may have to start slowing down soon? Um, I think uh, for the U.S. itself, I don't think there is any real concern because the economy is still strong. Uh, the strong dollar has a lot of benefits to the U.S., but I think the Fed are starting to show concerns of outside of the U.S. Uh, if there is a emerging market crisis or any type of a crisis outside the U.S., it ultimately affects U.S. as well. So I think in that sense, uh, they have to be watching that very closely. Okay, Peter, thank you very much indeed. That's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in South Korea right now, uh, the Cosby is up about 1.2%. The ASX 200 in Australia up a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 0.1%. Does look like the Hang Seng, though, is going to have a continuation of the rally, rising about 330 points or so at the open uh, this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned for Back Chat coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast dry during the day maximum temperature of around 28 degrees going to remain fine and dry in the latter part of this week and early next week it's 23 degrees right now 73 percent relative humidity times 8 31 here's tom warden with a half hour news executive council convener regina Ip agrees the pol- words political neutrality should be dropped from the code of conduct for civil servants to eliminate misunderstandings The civil service chief briefed lawmakers yesterday on her plans to drop the term so staff couldn't use it as an excuse to avoid tasks. Ms. Ip told RTHK that when she was security minister, she was accused of not being politically neutral when she voiced support for former leader Tung Chi Hua. Ms. Ip says loyalty to the government takes precedence over political neutrality. It has caused a lot of misunderstanding. Um, in my time, this term has been used by the opposition uh, to ask civil servants not to support the chief executive. So it, it happened in my time. So I think it is better to remove this term to uh, eliminate any misunderstanding. Queen Mary Hospital says an investigation is underway after it received a report that a doctor was suspected of improperly obtaining morphine, oral analgesics, or painkillers. Robert Kemp reports. In a statement, the hospital authority said the doctor concerned works at the Li Ka-shing Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong, and that Queen Mary Hospital and Hong Kong U had set up a joint committee to look into the matter. He said last Saturday this committee had met with the doctor to see whether any criminal element was involved and that police had been informed. It also said several other doctors appeared to have prescribed the drugs between February and August. The authority said the doctor was now on leave and that Queen Mary Hospital had reviewed patient records and no patient had been affected. Queen Mary Hospital in Pokfulam is the teaching hospital for the Li Ka-shing Faculty of Medicine. Hong Tai Travel says the travel industry is in a dark tunnel as it announced that its branch services, which have been suspended since August, would not resume until further notice. The travel agency said it would keep costs as low as possible until all travel restrictions were lifted. Joanne Wong reports. Let's go, baby. Hong Tai, stand by you. 
Hong Tai said in the statement it has suspended services at its branches to stay afloat. The travel agency, known for its package tours, said the pandemic has forced many of its staff to leave the industry entirely and that travelers now also prefer to plan their own trips. It did say the government's decision to drop quarantine in favor of three days of medical surveillance last month did bring some hope to the sector, but the measure didn't go far enough. It said the travel industry has entered a dark tunnel with no end in sight. Hong Tai said affected employees will be put on furlough and that will run at the lowest cost possible until all border restrictions are dropped. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we're talking about COVID vaccine exemptions. The Executive Council on Tuesday approved an amendment to legislation giving the Health Secretary power to cancel COVID vaccine exemption certificates if there are grounds to believe they were issued without proper medical consultation. The move comes after the High Court ruled last Friday that existing anti-pandemic laws did not grant the Secretary such a power. Health Secretary Lo Chung Mao said yesterday the government had moved quickly to change the law on COVID vaccine exemption certificates to ensure that it has the power to protect public health. What do you think about this arrangement? Is the government striking the right balance? After 9.15, we'll be looking at the latest study on the health of coral reefs in Hong Kong. Let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us on backchat at rthk.hk, or simply give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined on the line by Alex Lam, the chairman of Hong Kong Patients' Voices, and lawmaker and barrister Priscilla Leung, who is a member of Lejko's Health Services Panel. Good morning, Mr Lam. Good morning. And, uh, good morning, Ms. Lam. Thanks for good joining morning. us. Good morning, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, uh, Mr. Lam, what is your assessment on how the government has uh, handled this issue? Well, I, I think um, uh, you, you cannot uh, um, uh, complain about the, the government's move uh, as to making the new law uh, enforcing, uh, uh, giving the power to the, uh, the Secretary for Health um, to uh, invalidate uh, those uh, 20,000 uh, uh, medical exams used by the seven doctors. Nothing wrong about this because uh, according to the uh, judgment of the judicial review, um, uh, it ruled that the government has so such power. So if, if the secretary has to do it, he has to do it. So now that uh, after a few days, uh, they make a new law and uh, empowering the, the secretary to do it. Um, so uh, we, we are not surprised to see this. But this, the matter really is um, why why we have a, a situation like this when when twenty thousand people um, um, went to the seven doctors seven doctors to 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 get the uh, medical exam certificate uh, that that's an issue because um, they they have nowhere else to to obtain the certificate. Uh, I have received a lot of complaints that uh, it is also um, it is really uh, impossible. To get a doctor who is willing to to issue such a certificate. Uh, but isn't it the problem, Mr. Lam, that we have bypassed the usual judicial process in introducing this law? No, no, not not really. Um, well, on the face of it, it seems that the government, uh, after losing the, the legal battle, 
uh, take steps to to invalidate the judgment of uh, Mr. Coleman uh, by making a new law. Um, it, it looks this way, but um, um, yes, the government explained that uh, it is uh, the way that they, they have to ensure the secretary has such power. But they have to really, um, well, as you can see that uh, when making the new law, they also expand the, the vaccine pass policy for uh, another six months. So that's really the concern. Because uh, um, people have such fear that uh, they, they consider their, their, their body is, is not um, suitable for the vaccine. They have a genuine reason to, to believe such a um, uh, um, um, uh, 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 negative effect to them. So the problem is they, they can't find a doctor who is willing to provide service. So so what can you do? You you either uh, uh, refuse to get the vaccination, uh, or you, you you take the risk of getting the vaccination and and get your vaccine pass. All right, Miss Miss Lung, what's your take? I mean, would it have been better for the government to appeal the High Court ruling uh, than amend the law? Well, Miss um, Lung, Miss Lung, maybe let's let uh, let Miss Lung. Uh, yeah. Okay, you are uh, you are inviting me to speak, right? Yes, Ms. Lang. Yeah. Okay, um, as the chairman of the um, Chapter 599, uh, all the subsidiary legislation, I, of course, it's unfortunate to have this situation occur. Uh, you might realize that uh, all the subsidiary legislation, 599L, that is the debatable uh, legislation uh, before the court, that um, uh, the uh, applicant uh, claimed that there is no explicit uh, law uh, giving the power of the secretary to invalidate all those suspicious vaccine exemption certificate. But uh, if we look at a chapter, uh, the same law, which we call the mother law, section eight, in fact, the chief executive in council did have the generous power. What we call this has the wide discretion uh, to review and to announce the policy that is for the purpose of preventing and combating uh, 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 the harmful effect for public health. So if in terms of that, first of all, I would like to uh, draw the distinction to the general public that um, the burden of proof as well as the threshold um, to convict or to um, to make decision for criminal cases is different from public law. Okay, uh, people sometimes confuse that uh, we need to wait uh, for the criminal case or the uh, suspect uh, to be convicted in a court before you may take measures to invalidate this kind of uh, vaccine exemption certificate. In fact, they are two different routes. For public law, we mainly look at the um, um, procedural flaw uh, uh, of the decision maker, that is the government, uh, for the for the present case. And uh, we are not looking at the merit, that's true. However, um, in most of the public law cases, especially for judicial review, uh, we have to look at the balance of public interest to decide whether from the law, from the wordings of the legislation, uh, whether the decision maker is given the wide discretionary power or narrow discretionary power. I can only say Chapter 599L doesn't say the secretary has such power to invalidate. 
nor has it said that the secretary doesn't have that power. However, the mother law, section 8, in fact, provides the wide discretionary power for the government um, to make decisions. So let us come back to the situation for the present case. Because this policy and, and the subsidiary legislation, the debatable legislation 599L, was promulgated in February. And February, let everyone imagine the situation. We have the death rate escalated to 9,000 or more within two months. That is a very terrible, horrible hygiene issue in Hong Kong. And if someone is maliciously applying the vaccine exemption certificate in order to disrupt this um, convict prevention, anti-convict measures for the, for the general public, it is extremely unacceptable in law as well as um, for public interest purpose. So, I truly think the case can be debated if it, the government um, uh, take the case uh, to appeal. However, I don't know what is the decision of the government. Instead, they, um, they decided to amend uh, Chapter 599L, which is also an acceptable choice, um, to take immediate measures in order to, I think, avoid the, um, the criticism or the, the, the uh, controversy that has been led, that that law doesn't explicitly provide the power to him uh, to invalidate those suspicious certificates. Okay, so isn't the maliciousness on the part of the doctors and not, and not the people actually issued um, the certificates? If you're talking about public interest, isn't it in public interest to go through a proper judicial process before you introduce a law? These, these, these patients, there are, there are, what, 20,000 of them? Don't they deserve their cases to be looked at instead of just sort of a sweeping power say, okay, your, your certificates are not valid? How do we know that maybe some of them are truly not suitable for a vaccine? Uh, not maybe. I think there will be some who are... Um um, who really need this exemption certificate. I mean, it is unfortunate. I think their target should be the seven doctors, that they should take lawsuit to sue these doctors if, because of the misconduct, if proven, these doctors' misconduct to give them this uh, exemption certificate, which let them extra time or resources to redo a vaccine exemption certificate. If they have health really have problem, they have record, and they, I think they easily pass the test. However, 20,000 vaccine exemption certificate within a very short period of time by the same seven doctors actually is quite easy from a third reasonable person that is suspicious and it really discredited the, um, uh, the, I mean, the genuineness of those exemption certificate, right? So we are talking about these group of certificate, whether they are harmful to the community. We are not talking about the present moment. We are really looking into the situation from February to April that we have more than 9,000 people who got um, their life who lost their life because of this serious condition in Hong Kong. I'm not saying that these people, among those, they, they, they won't have any genuine 
um, uh, person who need this exemption certificate. I truly believe they have, and their target, I think, should be their own doctors that they find. And I think the government may need to subsidize those people if they are really being caused troubles or extra time to apply for another certificate. But I think, in fact, I think the procedure is not too clumsy. Okay, so this case really came about because this retired civil servant, Mr. Kwok Chuk Kin, um, won his, his case. Um, you know, uh, 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 against the government, and that's why these uh, um, certificates were invalidated. So now he's thinking of taking it a, another step to seek a judicial review on whether these vaccine um, uh, policies are, are, are useful or valid. Now, are you saying that if he wins in the law court again, the government should just, you know, throw the book down and, and say, OK, we'll just change the law, we'll just change the law. Shouldn't there be a judicial process, you know, maybe go through a law reform commission, maybe debate and let's go before we have a new law? Yeah, I think a public hygiene issue, especially for anti-convict measures, we should leave it to, um, we should give enough discretion to the government to make decisions. In terms of the process, I truly think that the government should do uh, uh, to think beforehand, okay? Because you can see if they don't lodge an appeal. What do you mean think beforehand? Lodge an appeal, there can be many other amendments necessary. I, I, that is what I foresee because, um, in fact, I think this case is worthwhile for them to take an appeal. Uh, it, it can be a separate route. They amend the necessary loopholes. But at the same time, it's, it's good to find out the main principle in law from the court of appeal or even court of final appeal. It's really for public interest to find out what actually is the final uh, uh, principle of law to look at this, like whether the government enjoy the, um, the discretionary power granted by the mother legislation, because it also applies to other legislation, not, yes. uh, not only public health legislation, For sure. uh, or this subsidiary legislation. I think it's worthwhile to find Thank out. Thank you. Mr. Alex Lam, you were the Hong Kong Patients' Voices. As Priscilla Long has just pointed out, some of these 20,000 people who've ha who've, whose uh, you know, certificates will now be invalidated, they probably, some of them, probably have very valid reasons um, to not take the vaccines. How do we look after their interests? I mean, in some ways, they themselves were defrauded by these doctors, weren't they? How do we look after their interests? Well, um, uh, I don't know what to say, because from, from what um, I heard uh, from uh, the people that are seeking help from me, that uh, their interests are affected by this policy, uh, uh, or the medical certificate uh, is by the seven doctors. That uh, uh, I can share one story with you. That uh, one of the, the patients, uh, she she was uh, advised to to go to the, the clinic to get the uh, the medical uh, certificate. However, they they told her that uh, they uh, she should get the first jab and see whether she will be affected or. Uh, um, uh, there, there will be any any side effect uh, before the, the clinic and uh, do assessment for her. So, so uh, of course, there are many other stories that uh, they are having uh, uh, difficulty getting the certificate because um, uh, they were actually told by the doctors that uh, it is policy that uh, they they could not possibly issue any further medical examination certificate. So, I, I think that it's not really uh, whether. <laughs> 
uh, you pay, uh, you, you give them a subsidy to, to, to get this certificate. It's really, they, they don't have the chance to find a doctor who is willing to issue the certificate. Um, now that uh, if you approach uh, any clinic in Hong Kong, either they do not uh, provide such service um, before they do assessment, okay? Or they, they don't give you an answer, but uh, you know, when, when you go see a doctor in the clinic that um, you, you expect the doctor, you know, uh, refuse you and uh, let you out. All right. I have a few messages here from our listeners. Um, this one is from Richard. He says, um, it's interesting how they, the government, can amend the uh, 599 Prevention and Control of Disease Ordinance in record time whenever it suits them. And I have another email here from Vic. He says, uh, changing the law to overturn a court ruling is not setting a good precedent and it makes a mockery of the rule of law. Um, Ms. Leung, what do you think of their views? I mean, do you think there are um, other people that feel the same way? Um, I, as I said, uh, my position is that um, I would respect the choice of the government now after this court case they choose to amend the uh, 599L for a time being to uh, plug the loophole in first. However, um, it is worthwhile to, for the government to launch an appeal to find out the um, the position of the higher courts, so that this is a really concerns important, significant public interest, not only for public hygiene legislation, as I mentioned. It may affect many other areas of legislation which might have the similar situation of legislation and the differences of power by subsidiary legislation and the mother legislation may have some differences um, so I would leave it to the court, but the court now made their first judgment. Uh, in Hong Kong, it's the rule of law. We have to respect the decision of the court. Also, we have to respect the uh, power that uh, the government choose to plug the, the loopholes for uh, the situation um, that they have to face now. Um, I would advise the government to think ahead, especially um, all this series of legislation with, which might face similar situation in order to avoid uh, more embarrassment or difficulties that might arise because of the um, of the subsidiary legislation uh, may have some um, some kind of room for people to launch judicial review. So we really have to think ahead of the protection of public um, health as well as other area for public interest. Yeah, so you're talking about plugging loopholes. Obviously, these these legislation were not well thought out in the first place. Shouldn't there be a proper process, like a debate in LegCo, for example, before we introduce not just this law, but any law? Uh, for, uh, for public hygiene, because you have to understand the difference between mother law, mother legislation and subsidiary legislation. Because subsidiary legislation actually is um, to um, to lay out more uh, detailed rules on operations, etc., um, to help some of the general provision of the mother legislation. So, in fact, the mother legislation of 599 provides enough discretion for the for the government 
to make decisions in terms of emergency situation of public health, protection or prevention um, of uh, diseases, etc. Um, so I, I think uh, if it, it comes back to the uh, amendment of the mother legislation, we will have chance to discuss uh, in the legislation, Legislative Council three readings. Uh, we have a Legislative Council debate. However, if it is subsidiary legislation, we can only do it after the government um, uh, make it effective because it's subsidiary legislation. So the vetting comes after the legislation become effective. It doesn't mean that our debate or our inquiries in our committee can have no chance to change the legislation, subsidiary legislation, but it will be after uh, the legislation has already become Effective. All right, Ms. Leung, Ms. Leung, I have yeah. another message here from a listener, T.C. Zhang. Uh, he says, um, this is what you get for allowing grey areas to exist. When my home province in Canada, British Columbia, implemented the vaccine card from October 2021 to April 2022, there was no exemption for anybody. It may be unfair to those with legitimate medical reasons, but there was no controversy involving people giving exemption on fraudulent grounds. Um, actually, maybe Mr. Mr. Lam, can you respond to that? I mean, would that be going too far? Well, I, I have not really conducted a survey uh, as to uh, uh, how other countries or areas uh, conduct their um, uh, um, vaccine, uh, vaccination scheme. But, but you, you, you look um, outside world, um, we are talking about relaxation. We, we are talking about opening the border we are talking about uh, normalization of uh, our lives, and uh, yet uh, we have a very um, tight uh, vaccine pass scheme, and uh, the scheme will last uh, 36 months uh, beyond this year. So we, we really have to, to see what, what we are we, and uh, do we see a light at the uh, dark tunnel? Um, how do we get out of this thing? Um, uh, we, we have a very... Um, a uh, large uh, um, sport event uh, next month, Rugby 7, where 20,000, 30,000 people will take off their masks, eating, drinking, happily enjoying the game. Um, but but yet, uh, we are still forcing people to get the vaccination, despite the fact that uh, they may not be suitable for the vaccination, or they have the fear to get the vaccination, and they are, they, we're still forcing them to get the vaccination, uh, without which uh, you don't get uh, a vaccine pass. And <clears throat> Without a vaccine pass, you can't do anything. I mean, the science has shown that even if you're vaccinated, you can still spread the virus. So, exactly. so if you're really it's making a point about argument about public interest, if you're making a point about public interest, it's, it's, public health is one concern. Isn't it also against public interest if, if businesses continue to fold, that it basically the vaccine policy may hamper um, sort of Hong Kong coming back? Isn't that against well, public interest? Well, we, we have to make a balance. Okay, now we have an over 90% of the population getting to, to, to vaccine, two jabs. Uh, uh, nearly 80% of the population getting three jabs or more. So, so um, with uh, 6,000 um, uh, confirmed cases every day, all right, with uh, over a million people uh, getting infected, um, then what do we do? We it's just a fact of life that we live on Earth with a virus. Well, yes, we have to live on it. Uh, but, but 
well, how, how many jabs are we going to take before this thing is to end? 10, 20, 30? We don't know, but we, we have to have a plan. Now that uh, we see the outside world has having their the normal life, they take off their masks, um, they go to work, they go to school uh, without any, any difficulty. But Hong Kong, we, we see after three years, we, we enjoyed a period of uh, over six months last year, zero uh, infection cases in Hong Kong. But now we, we have these uh, things uh, to, to go on and on and on. Uh, we, we, I think we have to think about when these things will stop. All right, so Mr. Lam, um, I just want to get your response to a, a statement issued yesterday. The, the health secretary, he said uh, the 20,000 or so COVID-19 vaccine exemption certificates believed to be issued without a proper medical assessment will um, officially be invalidated on November 9th. Um, do you have any idea how big an impact this will have on affected patients or have uh, most of well, them already got a new medical exemption by now? Well, for, for those uh, 20 or 1,000 uh, uh, certificates, uh, they are either already expired or they will soon expire. So there's, there's basically no rush for the government to invalidate them uh, um, because uh, they, they normally have a, a validity period of three months. So they, they will basically, you know, expire very soon. Uh, just as the government wants to, uh, you know, uh, uh, do it more quickly, uh, faster than their expiry date. Um, so there's no point in doing this uh, with such a big impact of changing the law, announcing the the, uh, uh, the power to, to invalidate those uh, things. Um, the, uh, the government can do is to really help these uh, people who have genuine uh, medical condition to get their medical certificate. Um, I have helped some of them, and they, they did get the, uh, the, the, the certificate from other doctors but they have to um, go through a very difficult procedure. All right, right, Mr. Lam. Uh, Unfortunately, we're out of time. We have to take a break for the news. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Alex Lam, the chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices. And earlier we were joined by um, Priscilla Leung, lawmaker and barrister. And uh, right now, let's have a look at the weather. Um, It'll be fine and dry during the day with a top temperature of around 28 degrees. Winds uh, moderate easterlies, fresh offshore. And uh, right now, the temperature reading at the observatory is 24 degrees, relative humidity, 68%. On RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. Before the news, we looked at COVID vaccine exemptions. Now, in this part of the program, we're looking at the relaxation of COVID jab requirements for both secondary and primary students relating to four-day classes. The Education Bureau said it was postponing a three-jab rule that was supposed to take effect next month for secondary students to have four-day lessons. Primary schools, where only half-day lessons are held currently, can have four-day classes from December 1st as long as 70% of students are double jabbed. To discuss the latest arrangement, we're joined on the line now by Dion Chen, the chairman of the Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council and the principal of Yinghua College. Also on the line is Chim Hon Ming, principal of Chusheng School and chairman of the Council of Central and Western District School Heads. Good morning, Mr. Chen. Hello, good morning. And good morning, Mr. Chim. Thanks for joining Hi, us on the morning. program. Um, so let's start with Mr. Chim. What's been the yeah. reaction from um, uh, principals and parents on this uh, relaxation? Uh, I think it, it's, a, it's a big step to let us know that uh, how or where we can uh, resume to, to hold a section because it is really important. 
And, uh, you know, in the past few years, um, the school, um, you know, the students can only come back to, uh, to school for half-day lessons. And the time is quite limited. And then um, it, it affects lots of activities that we, we plan to, to, you know, to organize. Um, but, of course, we, we still have to look into the details. And also, we, we need to consider about the, the vaccination weight of different schools. And I think uh, I, I talked to some principals uh, in the last two days, and uh, quite a number of them, they think that maybe the, the right time to resume to, or the best time to resume is in the second term, is, is not in December. So, Mr. Chan, um, why is it difficult for, this, for um, schools to meet the 90% requirement um, of getting double jabbed? Right, okay. I think like for the secondary school, it's not that difficult. Uh, as like there's a lot of reasons that the secondary school should meet the, um, you know, the free jabs for, um, I mean, the activities or for their daily life. I think for primary school will be a bit challenging because like sometimes the, uh, the current arrangement for the primary school students actually are not that attractive for them to go to take a uh, vaccination. You know, for secondary school, they may have a lot of activities, activities that uh, require the vaccination. But like for the primary school, we don't see that. So that's why like quite a lot of primary school students, they may not have chances to go to get the uh, vaccination. And some parents also would like to, you know, see the situation a little bit more before they're making their final decision. Are the parents so reluctant yeah. to, to get their children vaccinated? Is that is that the problem with the primary school? Uh, I can say like the... Uh, it is a problem, but like definitely some parents would like to to see a little bit more to see like whether it is really uh, secure and safe for the children to uh, to have the vaccination. Right, but Mr. Chen, are, are most secondary school um, students already triple jabbed? Do you know? Uh, I can hear like quite a lot of principals of the secondary schools they shared with us that uh, the students actually thought uh, double jabs no problem, and then over ninety percent. And for, uh, you know, the free jabs, quite a lot of schools, they still having like level 70 to 80%, not reaching 90% yet. But like, we also can hear like more, uh, at least my, uh, as far as I know, more than 50 schools that they have uh, uh, free jabs already. I mean, uh, over 90% for the students. Okay. Uh, going back to uh, Mr. Chem, uh, what, I mean, what is the uh, vaccination rate like uh, for primary schools? Um, different schools have different uh, percentage. Uh, I know some of the schools, they only have around um, 60% of the students have double jab. So uh, it, it's not easy for some schools to, to make, to, you know, to uh, reach the um, 70% um, double jab rate. So, yeah. so do you think most of them can resume full day classes in December? Um, I, I'm not sure, but uh, from uh, what I heard from other schools, principals, um, not too many schools, they reach the 70% rate uh, for, you know, for the vaccination. Mr. Shen, when, when, they, when you cannot resume full-day school uh, for these yeah. young children, what is the impact on learning? Um, you know, um, uh, it's quite uh, simple. Is that, uh, for example, the extracurricular activities we cannot arrange in, in, you know, in the afternoon. And then also the teaching time is only limited in the half-days in the half-day section. Uh, normally, uh, for example, in my school, the, the normally, if, if it is a whole-day section, uh, each lesson is 55 minutes. But now we just have only 35 minutes for each lesson. You see that there is a, a, a 
uh, difference. That is the gap. And also, uh, normally in each lesson, we, we can allow the students to, to do their homework and then under the supervision and the guide, guidance of the teachers. But now we, we cannot have this kind of arrangement because uh, 50, uh, 45 minutes is quite limited, it's quite short, so the teachers have to use all the time to teach rather than helping the students or uh, explaining to the students how to finish their homework. And quite a lot of parents find that uh, it is, it is a, a problem for them to helping the students to doing their homework at home, you know. Yeah, uh, Mr. Shan, what, what, what about you? What is the impact on learning that you? I mean, we're two and a half years now with with this sort of half day schools or school suspension. What is the impact on learning you have seen so far? Okay, from the secondary uh, point of view, secondary school point of view, and uh, only having the half day school actually not very good for students, not just only for learning but also for the personal growth. Learning side, definitely, then uh, we may not have sufficient time to finish the curriculum face-to-face. -face. Then we have to uh, heavily rely on the online learning. And for primary schools, uh, as Mr. Kim just also mentioned that, like primary school students in the past two and a half year, they only got half-day school. We can see those students after they attended the primary school and came to the secondary school, the students, we can compare them with the students previously with the four-day schools operation, then their development, we can see a very significant lag behind. So this is our major concern of the students in the primary school. They do not have the four-day operation or four-day school. So then uh, we very appreciate that this arrangement can be given to the uh, primary school this, uh, in from from December. Yeah. Right. I've spoken to some parents and I mean, of course, uh, some of them, they, they prefer full-day uh, school, but uh, a few of them that that's, uh, I spoke to, they, they actually like half-day school because uh, they said after school, they have more time to uh, take the kids out for other extracurricular activities, of course, outside of school. Do, do you think, um, Mr. Chen, do you think some parents are, are getting used to this uh, half-day school arrangement? Well, I think like not just only parents, sometimes like students and teachers are also get used to the half-day school operations. Uh, however, we can see like the full-day schools that benefit to the students that they can stay in school, that they can have the extra curriculum not just only by themselves or just like attending some of the individual training outside in the afternoon. They can also enjoy the activities with their peers in school. That is the way for them to learn how to socially interact with others and how to, you know, uh, you know, uh, face challenges together and also to deal with the challenges together. And even quarreling with their friends, that is a, a, a part of learning and also a part of growing. So uh, having the full day school, then they have more activities, could be stayed in the school to do it. And they uh, and we believe that it really benefit the boys and girls. Right. Mr. Chen, I mean, like uh, what Mr. Chen was saying, uh, many, even teachers, they're, they're used to having half day school. So um, do you think um, schools are ready for full day classes? Um, I think we are we are ready because uh, in September I had I had uh, I, I told us uh, my colleagues that uh, we we should get ready to resume back to the whole day um, arrangement because uh, I think that that's the normal situation nowadays we 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 are under abnormal situation of course just like uh, Principal Chen has mentioned uh, some of the Students, parents, even teachers are, are getting used to the half-day arrangement. But, but I, I, I want to uh, make it clear that uh, half-day arrangement is just uh, uh, 
normal arrangement. It is not the right. It, it is not the, uh, the normal uh, or the usual practice. So uh, I have already uh, remind my my colleagues that we have to prepare for resuming back to uh, whole day arrangement. Of course, we need to contact to the uh, lunch caterer and the school bus services and also we need to think of about the arrangement of the ECA and, and also other things and also if we um, decided to resume back to um, whole day arrangement of course we need to inform the parents in advance yeah so 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 now um, the children the students they don't need to be triple job until February what are the schools doing um, to try to reach that target by February? Are you just encouraging the parents? Or what exactly are you doing to, to try to meet that target? I believe you mentioned about the secondary school situation. And uh, for the triple chapter, why, uh, we believe that this postponement could give more time for the students to catch that uh, triple jab requirement. The main reason is that we can see some students after the second jab, and they still need to wait for a certain time get a that step and uh, November is not really a very uh, enough room for them to uh, to get a that step. Yeah, so like but you, when, we, mm. when we come to February, definitely then they have sufficient room in between for them to get a that step. So, that, so the postponement definitely actually is good for the school to put up the uh, vaccination rate. You, you, you pointed out earlier that the challenge actually is with the primary school kids. So, so is there enough time now for, for even five-year-olds to get three jabs in by February? Yeah, uh, as per the current arrangement, the government did not mention about free jab requirement for the primary school students. Uh, yes. So the, so the February is only for the secondary school. I see. That's correct. Right, and earlier, Mr. Mr. Jim, you were talking about how uh, your um, your teachers are prepared for full day lessons. Are, are there special arrangements or special preparations that need to be carried out? I mean, you, I mean, returning to full day school is uh, is normal, like you mentioned, but uh, still, we 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 still have COVID around. So, are there any special preparations that need to be made? Um, of course, we, we need to do some preparation. For example, I just mentioned we we need to think of the lunch caterer. Uh, how the how do the lunch arrangement will be better for the students to have lunch in school and also the ECA and also the school bus services. But most importantly, we, we need to think of um, you know the the uh, vaccination rate in my school because uh, currently uh, the rate is not um, reached the the seventy percent rate. So uh, that's that's the first thing I, I need to encourage the parents or to persuade them to, you know, to, to bring their kids to have the vaccination. So that's why in the past uh, two months, uh, when we received uh, some information about the arrangement of vaccination in the society, we um, sent a message to the parents and to encourage them, to, to tell them uh, if they didn't have the vaccination, maybe they cannot join the easy activities. And even we have some big events in January, we will bring them the kids out for uh, a visit, for a seminar, for workshops, and most of the places they need to have the vaccine pass. If they cannot uh, reach the, if they cannot have the two jab, then they cannot go there and it will affect their learning. So we try our best to encourage the parents to, to persuade them to bring their kids to have the vaccination. What is the vaccination rate at your school right now? Um, most of the levels, nearly 60%.
Okay. So, so you 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 know you you pointed out that you might have to tell the the, the children and their parents they kind they cannot join certain activities. In reality, when you tell that to a ten-year-old, what are the difficulties? Ah, uh, what are the difficulties? I think the difficulties is mostly from the parents because some of the parents they really uh, don't like to bring their kids to to have the vaccination. That that that's the most difficult part. Because we, we cannot force them to have the vaccination. We cannot force the parents to do anything. Uh, it is only by their, their will, right? If they uh, if the parents are willing to, to bring the kids to have the vaccination, then we, we cannot do anything. So, so for sports day, for example, you, 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 you then have to sort of, you know, tell all the kids who haven't had the jabs, you, sorry, you can't come to sports day. And then you... Uh, yeah, that, that, that's the truth. So we just have to mention, uh, we, we, we can just mention the reality and try our best to, to persuade them to, or, or to encourage them. That, that's what we can do. Mr. Chan, in reality, you know, yep. when, when, when you have to tell a, a kid, sorry, your parents decided not, you, you're not getting job and therefore you can't join any activities. Is this is, is tough to tell a child? Well, like, uh, it all depends on the situation of the school then. Because, like, under the... the the newest arrangement set by the EDB, if the whole school having the over 90% of the subject in the secondary school, all students actually, they can still enjoy the easy activity, even though some of the students, they did not have to do that yet. So uh, it's, it's uh, the, I would say, a little bit of relaxation for the school, for the students uh, under this new arrangement. Of course, like, uh, students without the uh, proper vaccination or the enough depth, uh, in fact, it will really affect their health if there's really a chance for getting the COVID. All right, Mr. Chen, we'll have to uh, leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dion Chen, the chair of the Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council and uh, principal of Yinghua College. Also, many thanks to uh, Chim Hon Ming, principal of Chusheng School and chairman of the Council of Central and Western District School Heads. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now 18 minutes past nine and it's time for us to turn to our final topic today and that is about the health of corals in Hong Kong. Researchers from the Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation Department, Baptist University and the Chinese University carried out checks in August at, 18, at 19 coral locations across the territory and found bleaching at 18 of them. To tell us more, we're now joined on the line by Kelvin So, Project Manager for Oceans Conservation at WWF Hong Kong. Good morning, Mr. So. Hello, morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So how serious is the coral bleaching situation? So um, so, um, uh, so, this was the second bleaching event with such extensive impact in Hong Kong in recent years. So when we talk about the previous one, it need to, uh, we need to look back to in 2017. So it was the Hong Kong worst ever. So um, let's talk about this one. So in the summertime of July 2022, the government received different reports and sporting records from the water sport user. So and then they urgently formed a research team uh, to conduct a collaborative uh, bleaching survey um, with uh, ASCD, Baptist University and Chinese University. So and hope to collect the field data on bleaching percentage uh, 
uh, uh, the Beijing event and monitor the coral recovery in Hong Kong. So the survey covered 19 different coral areas located in northeastern and eastern parts of Hong Kong. So they conducted a video chance and detected the bleached corals at five sites to track their recovery over the two months' time. So a total of 96 bleached uh, coral colonies are tagged at five sites. So from the preliminary result, uh, often 19 surface sites covered by the survey, 18 of them have experienced a coral bleaching. So and about 33% um, of coral was bleached at Sharp Island in Saigon, uh, which is also a place uh, that has attracted more public attention and also a hotspot uh, for scuba divers, um, snorkelers, or even kayakers. Mm-hmm. So how do climate change and human activities cause coral, ble- uh, coral bleaching? Uh, so, um, so actually, uh, climate change is, is really uh, uh, related to uh, the coral bleaching event because uh, the coral bleaching event occurs uh, when the uh, warming of the water uh, causes the coral to expel their, their algae. Um, that provide more than 90% of the nutrients um, and the coral colors. So it will also reduce the coral growth and leaves it uh, vulnerable. So um, actually, Dr. Apple Choi from Chinese University of Hong Kong, uh, she estimated uh, the reason of the uh, bleaching event this year was due to the environmental factors. So like the increased seawater temperature, uh, because this year broke a lot of records for very hot days in summer in Hong Kong. So I understand that the scientists have been trying a combination of, of vegetative reproduction and also sexual reproduction to try to encourage the corals to grow again, right? Mm. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, okay, so with the um, so actually this project with the support of uh, Trust Tomorrow uh, by the Swire uh, Charitable Trust. So WWF Hong Kong um, worked with Coral Academy uh, from the Chinese uh, University of Hong Kong and we launched a coral rescuer project last year. So um, in this project, we aim to apply uh, this project to different um, the selected citizen scientists understanding and concern about the coral communities in Hong Kong so as to experience um, the first-hand restoration work. We also hope to uh, extend this citizen science research to other degraded coral areas in the future. So um, a total of 20 citizen scientists were selected uh, from more than 200 applications. So under um, the guidance uh, of the coal experts, so the citizen scientists could collect the coal fragments in the identified degraded site, as known as um, a corals of opportunity, and bring them back to the CHK science laboratory for further fermentation and processing. So uh, each coal fragment was established uh, custom-made run semen base and then return the healthy coral fragments to the nursery platform set by CHK on the sea bed. So the sitting scientists help the regular monitoring to record the recovery progress and healthy status of the fragments. So before the project launch, about 70% of the corals at the project site were destroyed. After three months, 39 of the 40 rescued coral fragments survived, and the survival rate was pretty good, uh, 97.5%, and positive growth have been found. What about in terms of diversity of the coral species? Um, you mean the coral fragments? Y- yeah, you know, we have a number of, 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 of different types of corals, right? Mm. Um, when, you, when you do this sort of uh, laboratory uh, 
reproduction. Does that does that help with the diversity of the of the of the corals? Oh, so um, we need to talk about uh, the reef restoration because we got two different approach. One is uh, accessory propagation, and another one is accessory propagation. So uh, for this uh, project, so we are using the accessory propagation. So we are finding the corals of opportunity. So that means um, uh, it's the depatched live hard coral fragments on sea bottom that have poor chance of survival uh, in the field. So by collecting, cutting, and culturing these fragments in lab-based nursery, so we can preserve the existing coral biodiversity on these uh, coral fragments. So it could serve as a sea stock in uh, restoration exercise. But when we talk about the, um, the species diversity, uh, we need to mention uh, the sexual propagation techniques because um, it involves uh, uh, the collection of the egg bundles from corals during the corals uh, spawning. So actually, uh, Dr. Apple Choi, uh, she is the expert um, uh, to um, conduct this kind of technique. Uh, so um, the um, researchers, um, uh, they collect the egg bundles and allow uh, them to fertilize and develop into larvae or juveniles. So before we introducing them back to the degraded sites. So I would say uh, it's a multi-approach uh, to increase the coral diversity. Mm-hmm. Is this coral bleaching problem particularly bad in Hong Kong, or, or is it a regional problem, or, or even a global problem? Oh, I would say it's a global problem because uh, so um, um, uh, coral bleaching event is is not is not a it's not a, it's not, uh, um, a, um, a news that uh, just comes to um, um, uh, comes to us uh, in these recent years because. Um, um, uh, coral bleaching um, because we can foresee uh, the warming of the water uh, may be increased because due to the uh, climate change issue. So we, we can foresee um, the coral bleaching event could be happen in different uh, locally or even regionally or even globally. Yeah, so in, in Hong Kong waters where there's coral, the, the, the government um, put uh, a little sort of pyramid, a little triangle to warn people not to approach that area. Do we need to expand those areas, those protected areas? Yeah, uh, so actually we are urging uh, the government to um, uh, establish and commit a roadmap uh, for expanding uh, and an effective marine protected area network uh, by 2023 because uh, um, uh, such as the anchoring site, uh, we think that uh, the government should identify the coral ecological sensitive area first because it refers to uh, those areas that are particularly uh, sensitive to human activity and they are easily affected by inappropriate human activity and it may have some negative uh, uh, ecological effect. So we hope that the government will uh, should take advantage of the current uh, coal distribution map uh, prepared by different universities and con the surface on water sport activity to understand the overlapping areas with coral areas and even formulate some appropriate conservation policies such as um, to uh, make sure the corals um, are well uh, uh, managed uh, and have effective conservation measures in place. And just now you mentioned water sports. I mean, how much uh, of an impact does uh, water sports have on uh, coral bleaching? Um, so um, so um, actually uh, for, for the... Uh, when we talk about um, the human activity, so um, 
we can have some because it's also the coral fresh um, um, in Hong Kong. Um, so when we talk about the uh, human activities, so we can uh, we can foresee is the um, the recreational uh, problem because uh, uh, we can see the kayaking, uh, scuba diving, snorkeling. They are developing really fast in Hong Kong recently. So uh, given that uh, the COVID situation, uh, Hong Kong people are trapped uh, in Hong Kong, so they would uh, like to explore um, uh, different water sports uh, locally. So actually, um, the divers and snorkelers, they, they, they could uh, easily break uh, or even uh, kick on the corals uh, due to the unintentional contact. So, and also uh, when the, uh, the, the water sport user, they may also use the sunscreen uh, during their activity. So uh, the, those sunscreen may have some chemical uh, uh, elements. It may also hurt corals and lead to um, uh, coral bleaching. So um, we would, uh, we would, we would uh, uh, hope the government, uh, we can have a clear guidance uh, to the water sport user and um, and, and, and encourage a sustainable ecotourism uh, method. Where, where in Hong Kong waters do you think we need to uh, especially protect the corals? Where are they most vulnerable? Oh, okay, so uh, actually uh, most of the corals, they are uh, well uh, distributed in our eastern part of Hong Kong. So, um, so such as um, Sai Kong area, um, um, the Sharp Island and Shelter Island area, and even the Line Pins Island, uh, even when we talk about um, the north eastern part, uh, it could be um, the Hoi Hawan Marine Park. So uh, mostly they are located in the eastern part of Hong Kong. All right, Mr. So, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us on the program this morning. That's uh, Kelvin So, Project Manager for Oceans Conservation at WWF Hong Kong. Many thanks also to you for your emails and comments, and of course to our guest presenter, Jenny Lam, and Thank producer you. Yuki. Now, here's the weather. Fun and dry during the day with a top temperature of around 28 degrees. Winds moderate easterlies, fresh offshore. Right now, it's 24 degrees, relative humidity 66%. The Legislative Council Election Committee constituency by-election polling day is on December 18th. The nomination period runs from November 1st to November 14th. Registered electors aged 21 or above who have resided in Hong Kong for three years preceding nomination are eligible to be nominated. Forms can be found at the Registration and Electoral Office, Home Affairs Inquiry Centres and elections.gov.hk.